we should all be glad and rejoice that we have a relationship with God that is established on a new covenant. Amen? Thanks, team. Why don't we just give them a little hand clap as they, as they go. They're just pressing in there, just working, working with the new technology this morning. That new technology is on the basis of the new sound system that allows them to tap in and hear themselves at the exclusion of whatever else they want to hear. It's a good thing. Amen? Just fine-tuning that, getting better at it, working out how that works and how it doesn't work best. And, and of course, they need a lot of grace uh, as they, as they tr for trial and error. Amen. But as I just started out saying there, and we'll just pray in a moment, but uh, we should all be glad that we enjoy a relationship with God that is established on a new covenant. It's not the old covenant, it's the new covenant, one that's established on the complete removal of our sins. And get this, even their memory, that's what the new covenant was designed to be about. And Jeremiah the prophet, 650 years before Christ, okay, 650 years before Christ, he gets an insight and receives a word that describes it. He foresees it and he speaks of it in detail prophetically. And I just want to bring the verse up. It's in Jeremiah 31 and verse 33. It says, But this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and inscribe it in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will each man teach his neighbour or his brother, saying, Know the Lord because they will all know me. We we're just praying that. We we're just inviting that. We will all know the Lord, know his touch, know his presence, know that sensation of when he's with us. We can experience it when we're giving attention to him, drawing near, because he'll draw near to us. Look what it says. No longer will each man teach his neighbour or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Look what it says, last bit. For I will forgive their iniquities and will remember their sins no more. It's not like, well, that's just been forgiven, but it's, there's still a record, there's still a charge, you know, it's sort of still in the records there against you. You know, for Christians to walk in the reality of having been forgiven and their past forgotten is a great day of freedom. Amen not walking in the light of what's behind us. Because the truth is we've all made mistakes. Every single one of us here. So that should bring us uh, to an appreciation, saying and asking, how good is that? We saw last week from Hebrews chapter 4, it speaks of coming boldly. See, with that information, we can come boldly into the very presence of God's prayer room, throne room. It's speaking of our access, the way we can come toward God, such a reality that we need to get a hold of. Someone says, Where, is that a place, the throne room of God? Someone's you know, asking that question. Is that actually a place? It sure is. Hallelujah. You know, when Jesus ascended into heaven, his resurrected, you know, we, in his resurrected body, he was seen by 500. We talked about that a little bit last week. There was only 120 that were on waiting and doing as he said 50 days later. 
50, only 120. Where were the other 380? Oh, well, the tide was good, so we had to go deal with that. No, no, please. All the fishermen, I love you, okay? All those that love to get a line in the water when the conditions are right, we love you, etc. and we understand. It does make you wonder, what happened to the 380? Where'd they go? On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached from Psalm 110, and he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. That's not recognition of the battle that we're called to. There's a battle with our enemies. There's a, there needs to be an appreciation for the Christian who's walking with God, talking with God, that there's a battle going on around us. And that what's happening is that the enemies of Jesus are being made his footstool. And we're a part of it. In this series on prayer, we're going to talk about how prayer is one of our major weapons in this era. Prayer. This is what our current topic is about. We saw last week that one lie and deception that needs to be overcome is that we need to come to God in prayer. This idea that we need to come with this sense of guilt or shame or unworthiness, even feeling unwelcome as we approach the throne room of God. How many of you know that's a lie that will rob us? That's a lie that will hold us back. That was, that's something that's going to stop us from wanting to come. Guilt-ridden. The first thing available to us when we come to God in prayer is mercy. Pastor Jess was just, I don't know, if, I think we're a combination punch today in that message. I didn't know where you are coming from, but I know you've been praying about what to preach. I think it's a combination punch today. Communion was one punch, and this is a, the right hook, okay? So because of the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross, we can come boldly, amen? We can receive our forgiveness by faith. Faith means what? Confident expectation. If you've got faith, you've got confident expectation. And we're to renew our minds with it. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Let's just pray before we go any further this morning. Father, we again just thank you, Lord, for the entrance of your word. Lord, it gives us light, Father God. Lord, we thank you that truths come forth today that, Father, your people can take and tuck in their hearts, Father God. Lord, we thank you that that word, Lord God, allows us to walk in such a way, Lord God, that's pleasing to you, Father. Lord, that your word is indeed a lamp unto our feet and a guide unto our path, Lord God. It shows us where we are, but it also shows us where we can go. Lord, and sometimes that's leaving things behind. Lord, leaving scenery and, and events and circumstances behind, but moving on free of them. And Father, we thank you for that freedom that comes as we do your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. And Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 to 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Look what it says. We come boldly because we know mercy and grace are there and available for us. We come boldly. It's been taught that mercy means we don't receive what we do deserve and that grace means, I think you were touching it on this this morning a little bit, Pastor Jess, that grace means we do receive what we don't deserve. Isn't that great news? You know? And our preparation for any time in prayer should be from the place 
of being accepted by God and that when we purpose to pray, we shouldn't need to be hesitant because of an area where we may have been in the past, weak in the flesh, that we overcome by realising that there's grace and mercy to be received and that we go and we walk in that. Not saying that we shouldn't acknowledge sin. And, you know, we're, we're not a church that talks about sin all the time, I assure you. So if you're new to the church, that will going on about sin a fair bit. No, we're just laying a foundation for where we want to go. We want to get the basics right. Amen? And we're not saying we should not acknowledge sin. You know, in fact, you know, our, our, we shouldn't use our liberty as a license for sin. And we have liberty in Christ. But I'm talking about sin that we may be struggling with through our own weaknesses or an event that we regret, but confess it to the Lord. Receive the forgiveness of God. Dust yourself off and get back up again and get back on track. Amen. That's what we're all called to. Just don't let sin stop you from coming to the Lord in prayer. It's a very key part of this message to start with. This is how we overcome. This is how we gain the victory over the weaknesses of the flesh. Nothing good comes from shying away from the Lord. True repentance is when we change direction and we confess our sins to the Lord in prayer. True repentance comes from that because it's a change in direction. Amen. Say, how many times do I need to do that before I overcome? There's no limit. Just keep going. Just keep going and not allowing yourself to stay where you are. God loves us where we are, but he loves us enough to not let us stay where we are. So he's always saying, come on. Get overcome, overcome this. Get the victory over this. Come on. And 1 John 1, 8, verse 9, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, that Greek word homologio means to say the same word as. In other words, to say what God says about it. Not come up with another explanation for it or another excuse for it. Oh, it's okay. No, it's not okay. Homologio, say what God says about it. That's confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Getting the victory over sin and weakness of the flesh is never going to be accomplished if we run from God. Never going to be achieved. But if we run to him, he will help us to overcome so that we can move on and keep our walk with God going. So just being mindful of, of just the, the love. And in the context of prayer, remember Mark 11 and verse 25 to 26, Jesus taught letting go of sin. He taught it. Look what it says in verse 25. It says, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Wow. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. It's pretty sobering, isn't it? We get to realise that we're not walking in forgiveness toward others. God's not compelled to walk in forgiveness toward us or to allow that forgiveness to flow in our lives. So Jesus is teaching us how it works. If we fail to forgive someone who sinned against us, then we will also not receive mercy. 
the forgiveness that we need in our lives to walk free from sin. So it goes like this. We get free when we set others free. And that's just again what Pastor Jess was bringing there, you know, about... I just, it just so blessed me, actually, because when Jesus said that Satan sought to sift your heart, but I'm going to pray for you. Isn't that amazing? You know, recognising that the enemies at work in someone's life, but I'm going to pray for you anyway. That's the heart of the battle that we're called to. Because if you want to know how the enemy works, so often the case and so often the experience, it's usually through people. And God calls us to another place, to a higher place, to his place, where he's ever living to make intercession for us. And I know it's scary because, you know, you have to walk through your own prejudices, your own bias, but you don't know what they did to me. No, you don't know what Jesus did for you. Or not that you don't know, but you're not living in the highest reality of that. Amen. And we've all had it. We've all had someone who rubbed our fur the wrong way. And yet some who did it for a while. <laughs> you know, and you don't want to forgive them. <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about. We can laugh about it a little bit because it's not in our natural inclination to forgive when we've been hurt. But God calls us to it. Because if we don't, he can't forgive us. And he wants that grace and that mercy throw, flowing through our lives in such a way that others can receive it. That we might be those channels of love and blessing. That's the goal. That's the purpose. And, you know, really I'm highlighting in another way that that's the battle that we're called to as people of prayer. Amen. And I love this. Psalm 103, verse 11, it says, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He's removed them. If you can measure east to west, that's how far it's poles apart. That's how far he's removed them. And getting free is New Testament biblical. It frees us up when we free others. It frees us up. We get free. Hallelujah. You see, the enemy that we're fighting is the one that would seek to keep us feeling condemned and judged, unworthy of the forgiveness of God. That's the enemy that we're against. The condition in which we'd not even consider praying to God because we feel so bad. Now, we were taught in Bible college, actually we were taught a few things in Bible college, but it's always good when you can think back to the framework that you were given. One thing that we were taught in Bible college was that we need to know who God is. We need to know who we are in Christ. And we need to know who the enemy is. You know, there's a nice little framework there and you can, you can maybe you know, look at that, maybe write it down and consider if you've got knowledge in those areas. But when it comes down to the enemy, we were taught in Bible college that in actual fact we have three enemies. We have the flesh, that we need to keep dead and buried, face down, so that if it tries to dig itself out, what does it do? Dig itself deeper. That's the flesh. We need to keep him dead and buried. And we all have one. <laughs> Amen. We all have one. And we don't want to let him out. The flesh. 
is weak, but the Bible says the spirit is strong. So what's the answer? Walk in the spirit. Always be walking in the spirit. You might have an immediate, you know, when the, it's trying to resurrect, you know, when it's just trying to jump up out of the box, walk in the spirit. Just choose to walk in the spirit. Just walk away from it. Have no association with that flesh man. Amen? We're all called to it. If you've done it a few times, it gets easier, just in case you're out there saying, but it's so hard. I know, but it does get easier. And, you know, you might be surprised when those flesh attacks come. You know, they can come when you're well and truly into your Christian life. And you hear testimonies of people who are walking with God, walking with God strongly, and they have a flesh moment. And it just about undoes their whole Christian ministry. You know, so sad. The world, the flesh, the world, the devil, these three enemies, of course the world, the devil and his cohorts, they'll try and run it. They're trying to run the world if we're not careful. And we need to be out praying against that. And of course the devil. Someone says, what's the devil all about? Well, he's just about rebellion. He's the ultimate rebel, is the devil. What we've considered so far is, is that the weakness of the flesh is an enemy to prayer and that refusing to be tricked into condemnation or a sense of being unforgiven is for all of us the way forward. Being restored to fellowship with God is key in overcoming the flesh. Romans 8.1, it says, Therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So there's that step away from activity in the flesh, stepping away from it. And just saying, I'm not going to live out of that. I'm not going to live out of that box, that old man. Paul said, my old man was crucified with Christ. That's where we need to see him. He's dead and buried, left behind and walk free of it. James chapter 4 and verse 7 says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. He's going to flee. You know, so it's just resistance. Just resistance. And how do you resist? The enemy doesn't want you praying. There's the first thing you need to realize. What's he trying to do? He's trying to stop you from praying. He's trying to stop you from connecting uh, with your heavenly father. He's trying to stop you from having those lovely quiet moments where you are just restored and refreshed and, and come up to another place in God. That clarity comes again. He wants you not walking that way. He doesn't, you know, he's the one to initiate imaginations about you not being worthy not being right with God. Jesus said the devil was the father of lies. He said the devil was a liar from the beginning. So he's out there in the world lying his face off, you know. Someone said, you may have heard this before, but when do you know the devil is lying? When you see his lips move. Because that's all he knows is lie and deception. Amen? And of course, the scripture goes on in James 4, 7. It says, verse 8, it says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. God's always so willing to meet us where we are. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and weep. Turn your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I want to finish on this thought this morning. You know, with a focus on being bold toward God, coming to him confidently, some may wonder if humility is important. 
Fair call. Fair question. Is humility still important? Well, I believe it is. Catherine Coleman, I don't know, somewhere during the week I must have said to someone, the first time I heard Kenneth Copeland speak was, I think, about 1985. Who's heard of Kenneth Copeland? I actually, as I sat and watched him, I actually thought to myself, who does he think he is? I had a like a... a you know why? Because he wasn't coming from a what I assumed you should come from if you're in a pulpit, and that is from a humble place. He was, he was coming from a confident place. And I'd not seen that before in the pulpit, certainly not the church that I was going to at the time, and it really took me back. I thought, who does he think he is? But again, the word comes through and, of course, starts to touch your heart. And, of course, I must admit, I've been blessed by that ministry many times before and even been by, told by the Lord to give money to that ministry. Some would say, well, he's got enough now. I don't know. If God tells you to give, you give. Amen? Because you may be giving into good ground that's going to be a blessing back to you. And we understand that truth. and We know it's biblical. Catherine Coleman was a preacher from the 50s and 60s and 70s and said that every time she got up to preach, she would die a thousand deaths. Beautiful little saying. And she would so humble herself so that her ministry was nothing of her and all of God. A, a great pre-preparation in her heart, a great little adjustment that she would make was to just deal with any area of pride or feeling big and good about herself but rather just die a thousand deaths. She'd just go through this process. She came up so humble. We never want to get up in the pulpit or on a platform anywhere with anything more than just a humility to God, that we would be used by him, that he would work and minister through us. It's essential that we humble ourselves. It's a pattern of the kingdom of God. Notice the resulting humbling of ourselves as well. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 to 7, it says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. I love that passage, and I know that the Lord spoke to me one day. I was asking, I was saying, Lord, what, how do I get to that place that you really want me to get to? And he actually said to me, it's through humility. Humble yourself under my mighty hand, you know, and that's that. Not being, well, I'm just nothing, I'm just not worth anything, but rather just humbling yourself means giving all praise and glory to him. Being bold and confident, but also being humble is the balance to master. It's a tightrope where you're always making those constant little adjustments and we're all called to that, where we need to constantly make those little fixes and put those little adjustments in. I understand that there's, a, there's an appreciation to have here because we know that there's an enemy out there We'll look at this next scripture because it does explain it so well. It says, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It says, Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. The ongoing peril for the weak 
is that the enemy is ready to deceive them right out of what God has for them. That's the peril for the weak, that the enemy would deceive them out of it, that he would lie their way and lie to them in such a way that they can't actually receive what God has for them. What a tragedy it is for God's people to be robbed of the blessing that's coming to them, to keep them from being bold enough to pray and stand in faith upon the promises of God and see God's will in heaven being done on earth. I don't know about you, I'm concerned about that, that God's people would be so deceived that would not recognise when it's actually the enemy that's roaming around trying to devour, rob them of what God has for them. The Bible says resist him, steadfast in the faith. What did Jesus do when the devil came to him and tempted him in the wilderness? What did he do? Spoke the word. He just had the word ready from his heart and just spoke the word and just said what God said. Kept it biblical. And that's what we're all called to do is to keep it biblical. Keep saying what God says in the midst of a deception or a lie from the enemy. Just keep saying what God says. And we'll see the victory through his word. And see God's will in heaven being done on earth. And that's what we're all called to. That's why we pray, is to see God's will in heaven being done on earth. And you look at the world today and what's going on. We could speak of Ukraine and, and changes of, of the, you know, the balance of power there in Europe and, and all those things and get concerned about it. You say, what's our job to do? Is to pray. Be praying for the church in Ukraine. Be praying for current government and the, what, the work that they've got ahead of them, even in this global pandemic and the, the initiations of the things that needed to be done, the steps that need to be taken to keep the population safe. We need to be praying for our government, not criticising them. Amen. You know, we need to be a people that stand up and pray that way and not afraid to. Let's see God's will in heaven being done on earth. Amen. Amen.